0: Welcome to the Free Speech Nation podcast with me, Andrew Doyle for GB News. Today, my guest is Nina Power. Nina is a writer and philosopher who teaches at the Mary Ward Centre. And during our conversation, we spoke a lot about feminism, about the men's rights movement, about traditional roles of masculinity and femininity, and whether we have anything to learn from history in terms of the roles of men and women in society. Nina has just written a new book which is called What Do Men Want? Masculinity and Its Discontents. And that is available to buy now. And of course, we discussed that book and her central thesis there. So this is the Free Speech Nation podcast with me, Andrew Doyle and Nina Power. Nina, your new book is called What Do Men Want? It's quite an intriguing question. I'm very much looking forward to reading it. Um, And the subtitle of the book is Masculinity and Its Discontents. Is it the case, as a lot of people think, that masculinity is in crisis?
1: Well, this is a, a perennial phrase. Uh, masculinity was in crisis a hundred years ago, fifty years ago, twenty years ago, ten years ago, and it's in crisis today. So, um, it's yeah, it, it's it's one of those ways of putting it. Obviously, the title of the book is a a double joke at the expense of Freud. Who infamously asked, "What does woman want?" And I thought I would turn it around, and mm. instead of civilizations and its discontents, it's masculinity and its discontents. Um, but I would say that if if it, there is always a kind of crisis, but nevertheless, it always takes on a particular character. So in the last sort of five years or so, I'm sure you're aware we've seen lots of discussion that has been largely negative directed towards men in terms of kind of generalizations about toxicity and male privilege and um after me too in particular uh, a kind of almost like open season on men yeah. and their supposed iniquities and bad behavior and there's obviously a kind of problem with that in the sense that most men don't behave in those ways in the first place. It's not true to our experience of men, I think. Even if we've had a bad experience with one man or something, it doesn't mean that all men are kind of doomed by, by association.
0: So when you say that masculinity has always been perceived as being in crisis, I think that, that rings true. I can't remember a time when someone somewhere wasn't saying uh, that there is a crisis of masculinity. But do you, do you feel that sometimes uh, feminist movements are at risk of essentializing? what it means to be a man
1: yeah so I think I think there's something that calls itself feminism today which perhaps isn't actually uh, feminist at least not in the way that I understood it from the second wave and the way that it kind of filtered down into the 90s which was actually much more generous I think to both boys and girls and men and women because it was about breaking down gender stereotypes and actually um, you know encouraging both girls and boys to express themselves however however they wanted Um, So I think, yeah, but I think since then, or in the last sort of short while, we've had this kind of, yeah, these sort of generalizations, essentialist claims about men, which were always like the negative stereotype of second wave feminists, but Mm. wasn't actually true. You know, the idea that all feminists hated men, which isn't true of the second wave, um, but now is sort of perversely true of a kind of mainstream liberal feminism which often suggests that it hates men and makes kind of generalizing claims about how awful they are. Sometimes it's a joke. Sometimes it's more lighthearted, mm. um, but not always. And I and I think that it has a kind of grinding effect on the kind of general discourse um, and, and the way, you know, hopefully it doesn't affect too much how, you know, we behave to each other in our private lives or normally. But I think it's it's almost like this unnecessary encouragement of resentment between the sexes, I think.
0: I suppose a lot of feminists would say that, uh, irrespective of which wave of feminism we're talking about, this is a common accusation that this is just women fighting for their rights is just misandry, sort of dressed up. Uh, so, but do you think it is specifically more true of what we would call fourth wave feminism, or 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 than? Second wave. Uh,
1: yes, uh, I think I think there's a there's a yeah a strange permission um, which is very very thoughtless actually, um, and it goes along with a kind of general sort of um, coarsening of public discourse, and I think also a kind of consumerism and individualism. The idea that if, if someone lets you down, then you can kind of hate, you know, everyone who who falls under that banner, um, you know, and there's a kind of general sort of maybe left liberal discourse which. Has been very, very down on men and and kind of permitted uh, generalizations from like one bad instance, for example.
0: Um, yes. Well, do you think do you think you could clear up for us because I think there's a lot of confusion around what feminism means now, and and you you're even seeing a lot of infighting uh, between various feminist factions. So you know we have first wave feminism, sort of the suffragette movement, early 20th century, then the the si- the second wave, sort of liberation movements of the 60s and 70s, then third wave feminism, which is sort of when intersectionality started to creep up in the 90s and then what we call now fourth wave feminism. The only way I can really think to describe fourth wave feminism is is intersectionality gone gone a bit mad. I mean, is that is that a bit unfair?
1: No, I mean, I, th- I think there's some, there are lots of very strange things going on at the moment. I mean, feminism seems to be one of the only contemporary movements which isn't allowed to have as its object its original um, focus. So, you know, you're not allowed to talk about women. Um, in particular ways, or, or if you do, you have to kind of in, include um, anyone else who's marginalised, which is very, very strange because no other identity based movement does that, if you see what mm. I mean. Um, so feminism has become quite sort of... Feminism is for everybody, apparently, and it should be well, all inclusive. Um.
0: Well, that's a distinction, isn't it? Because a lot of second wave feminists would say, for instance, that men cannot be feminists, that it is very much about uh, the category of being female. Uh, And then often you see, uh, particularly on social media now, the phrase, if your feminism isn't intersectional, it isn't feminism. Um, There's quite a dogmatic sense of what feminism means. What does feminism mean to you? And and do you consider yourself a feminist?
1: Um, Yes, I do. I mean, very much in the second wave. I mean, I was, you know, grew up in the countryside in the 90s and 80s and 90s, and I was definitely a beneficiary of a certain kind of trickle down second wave feminism which was much more about kind of freedom and, um, you know, not closing down possibilities on the basis of one's sex, you know, was saying that basically, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a girl, you can be interested in, in these things or whatever things that you like. Um, it, but it doesn't change your sex, you know. You're st- you're still a girl who maybe likes things that are historically associated with boys, um, but that's a good thing. And the same would go for for boys, you know. But why not sort of um, open up the boundaries of possibility mm. um, rather than kind of close them down? And 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 you know. And I think we've had a kind of regressive moment. Like something presents itself as progressive, but it's actually reactionary and regressive. So it's, it's all extremely confusing. Like the idea that if you know we need to bring back stereotypes and if you like certain things or behave in certain ways then that means that you, you are the historical version of that stereotype. I mean this was not the direction we were heading in in the 90s.
0: So you, part of your feminism is very much the idea of eliminating uh, stereotypes, but do you think there is some, uh, some basis for sex stereotypes within uh, the biological reality of sex differences?
1: Well, I think, I think sex is real. I mean, this is the other strange thing. You know, it's, it's obviously now even quite controversial. My, the opening line of my book is men and women exist, you know, which is a sort of, in a way, an unbelievably basic statement. But I mean, I'm sure you're aware it's also quite controversial even to say something like that um, in some quarters. So mm. to even keep biological sex and sexual difference as central features of our reality, which they are. You know, we're, we're one sex or the other and, you know, it's up to us what we do with our lives, but we can't change these fundamental facts and they do have implications for how we live. You know, we're not just infinitely malleable um, creatures or commodities who can be moulded at whim. You know, we, we yes. are... We are you know, limited in a, in a positive and a negative way by our biology. And this has implications for us at every stage of our lives. It doesn't um, mean that we are reduced to our biology. It doesn't mean that we, anything must follow from being a particular sex. Um, but there are physical differences between men and women. We see this playing out in the direct debates around sports. We see it in questions of, of violence. We see it in questions of, you know, childbirth and motherhood and, and so on. You know, and and a kind of, it's unrealistic, I think, to pretend that sexual difference doesn't matter in some places, right? And it's up to us to have a collective discussion as to where those places are. You know, where do we want to have sex segregated spaces, for example? You know, where, yeah. do, where is sex important and where isn't it important? And it's an unfinished and ongoing conversation for everybody. You know, we're talking on one hand about sort of political representation. You know, women in this country have had that for just over a hundred years. It's not really a very long time, mm-hmm. right? And it's it's a bit uneven. It's, you know, we don't necessarily need to have 50-50. It's not about quotas or something like that. But, you know, women have a voice in the political realm, in the social realm. Women also um, have always worked but there was a way in which after world war ii there was a kind of mass um, movement into the workplace um, and away from the home for a lot of women Um, and this has implications for for everybody you know not least the the lowering of wages for everybody
0: (laughs) yes of course so um, you're saying that uh, effectively your, your biological sex is not something that that acts in a kind of deterministic way or provides limitations to what you can do But that there are some, I mean, I often, there are these debates within, within feminism. I've spoken to feminists who, who would say that that gender, the idea of being masculine or feminine, these roles are all entirely socially constructed, uh, which I find quite persuasive. But then I see evidence from uh, particularly Scandinavian countries where they've, they've done the most to implement gender equity uh, measures. And when that happens, the evidence tells us quite specifically that women tend to go into more traditionally feminine roles and men tend to go into more traditionally masculine roles when they have more freedom
1: yeah, to choose. So exa- what does that tell us? Exactly. I mean, I think I think you know if that what the Scandinavian studies, and i I've 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 read about them as well. If what they say tells us anything, it's that we should be happy with that. It doesn't matter Mm. if men and women like different things or if different groups of people like different things. You know, the idea that everyone should be the same and do the same things and there should be exactly equal numbers of people liking and doing the same things is nonsense. I mean, we don't want a world in which we compel people to do things that they're not interested in um, simply because it looks better. I mean, if if it turns out that women prefer certain kinds of jobs or... You know, want to be mothers, and they they should be supported in that. You know, and and if men prefer uh, other types of job or tend towards jobs that are more physical, then that's great. You know, I so don't feel I... that
0: there that there is a way to acknowledge that there may be trends that differentiate the sexes in terms of career choice, for instance, uh, without necessarily. Because um, uh, I think the counter argument to to that would be. Uh, but if it is perceived that, for instance, women generally don't go into STEM subjects as much as, as g- uh, boys do, then that puts women off from doing it. Do, do you think that's that's true?
1: I, I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily think so. I mean, I think the opportunity should be there. I think, you know, the option should be beyond the table. But like you say, even mm. where in situations in countries that have very high incomes, where everyone is more or less middle class, where all of the opportunities are provided, it still looks like there are kind of preferences at the level mm. of sex. That, that can't be eliminated through, you know, providing opportunities. And, and again, that's, that's kind of fine. I mean, it may be that these, you know, that one of the points in the book I try to make is that men and women are different, but compatible. And this is actually what's kind of beautiful about mm-hmm. living in a, in a world where you're a member of the same species, but there's this whole other class of being which is like you, but not like you. You know, this yeah. is like the free song of difference is actually really interesting. It's like very beautiful.
0: Do you think that sometimes in contemporary feminism, there is a, a, a tendency uh, to almost um, uh, deme- demean the capacity of women, sometimes by accentuating the notion uh, that being a woman is in of itself a form of victimhood? I, I I read Ella Whelan's book on feminism, for instance, and she very much thinks that although the Me Too movement uh, redressed some very important concerns, in other words, women weren't being believed when they were coming forward with sex- allegations of sexual assault, at the same time, it, it has encouraged the idea that women are inherently vulnerable and need special protections and are particularly weak. Do you think that is something that has happened?
1: Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And I think one of the very obvious problems with positioning women as, as always potential victims is that you put them back in a position where they need looking after in the same way that children do. And that gives you kind of almost like a route into cancelling other rights that they might have. You know, we're at this particular juncture you know, we could go backwards. We could start saying, "Well, women should be in the home. They shouldn't have political representation. They shouldn't think too much, or whatever. It's bad for them."
0: So then, what would you say to uh, campaigners who say we need to make misogyny a hate crime?
1: I'm, I'm against that, and I agree with Julie Bindle on this. You know, and she, you, no one could accuse Julie Bindle of not being a, a feminist and defending women's rights. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for decades, um, I think it's it's. This is not the direction we should be traveling in, where we're asking the state to decide what hate is. This would go Mm -hmm. for all hate speech legislation, by the way, which I think should all be repealed. Um, I think this is dangerous in several senses, one of which is, uh, you know, again, like allowing the state or relying on the state to determine what it is that constitutes hateful behavior is very, very dangerous. Because Mm -hmm. it gives way too much power to the state and doesn't then put the power in in the hands of people as individuals to sort their own things out and to, you know, agree and disagree. And we know that what counts as hate changes all the time. And actually, what hate is is extremely complicated. It's not at all obvious what hate is. And, and, you know, this would also affect things like comedy and and so on. And, and, you know, there have been lots of discussions about this. Um, But yeah, the other thing is like, what kind of image of a society do we want? Do we want a society in which we rely on each other, on ourselves, and we sort out our own battles where we can, you know, and we we live together and we deal with the fact that life is difficult and complicated and that Mm. freedom um, is also the freedom to make mistakes and the freedom to fail and, you know, and and not always to imagine that there's someone who's going to save us, you know, this idea of calling the manager or complaining to the state. You know, mm. this is this is not a very um, self-sufficient, autonomous, free position to be in. It's a highly dependent position to be in.
0: But it feels as though uh, many sort of major institutions have bought into that idea. I mean, I recall specifically, I was always very surprised when I saw the BBC were promoting an app on smartphones which would support women and help them to speak up in meetings. And it would, it would monitor how much you had spoken and then remind you if you hadn't spoken enough. And this was a part of their sort of feminist... It was a feminist campaign that the BBC were were doing. But it it struck me as actually the opposite of feminism. Uh, Am I misreading that?
1: No, I mean, I think that that just sounds sort of silly and pathetic, really. I mean, I think, you know, we all need to sort of develop a bit more of a sense of humour and a bit more of a backbone. And I think that's something that's shifted in the culture, even in my lifetime. You know, I mean, when we were growing up, like we were routinely told that life was hard, but there was also quite funny you know mm. and that you shouldn't take things too seriously and you know there's a lot of miscommunication like often people get the wrong end of the stick and you can sort it out you know
0: now of course your book is very much uh, focused on men rather than women i know your other book uh, one dimensional woman would focus more on women but this is very much about what men want what men are uh, maybe a good place to start with that discussion is this notion of toxic masculinity uh, are men essentially toxic is there an argument there
1: no, I mean, if, if, like it's, a, you know, one of these silly sort of media meme ideas. I mean, it, it's, it's, um, you know, something... What does it
0: mean? What do, what do, what do, what do, what do feminists mean when they say, when they talk of toxic masculinity?
1: I, th- I think there's several different ways it's used, but, but one of them would be to say, and, and the kind of most extreme version is that there are no good forms of masculinity, basically, that all mm. masculinity is, um going to be ultimately bad for women, that it would, you know, be manifestations of male dominance, male privilege, you know, that men just take what they want, and they're not punished as severely as women, and that they have more money and more uh, land and more power and and all of these sorts of things, and that this entitles them or gives them a feeling of entitlement to behave in ways that are, um, you know, uh, sort of privileged and you know, demanding. Yeah.
0: but but is there not something in that? I mean, I've taught at a boys' school and I've also taught at a girls' school, and the boys' school there was generally a behavioural trend where there was much more sense of entitlement, much more cocky, much more uh, you know, I suppose, well, not toxic behaviour, uh, but certainly um, uh, it's more self-regarding and and uh, more front-footed behaviour, uh, and. Is, is that not was that just something that's come about due to socialization? Or, or is that something that is innate to the, the quality of being male?
1: Well, this is one of the questions. So I think, you know, we've seen documents in recent years, even from professional bodies, which have described the kind of behaviour um, that you're um, mentioning in boys as mm. itself inherently negative, right? That that, that that when, if boys act in a confident or energetic manner, that mm. this is itself a sign of, of toxic masculinity or negative masculinity. And I don't think it is. Actually, I think well, what, again, again, there so, might be differences.
0: So is it is it because I mean, this is another this is an argument that Christi, Christina Hoff Summers has made that, that uh, effectively what a lot of educators are now doing is attempting to socialise boys as though they are girls. In other words, you see a boy, I, I suppose, rough and tumble kind of behaviour with it among boys and that that people will step in and say, no, we have to put a stop to that and you should behave. But she thinks that that means they're trying to basically make, make boys behave more like girls. Has she got a point there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think a lot of people have also made this point about a kind of feminization of culture, you know? I mean, if boys mm. are, are generally surrounded by women at schools and so on, that they don't necessarily have access to male role models, which is something I talk about in the book. And, you know, instead of patriarchy, we've actually got a lack of father figures and a lack of men who are acting as mentors and a lot of that is about teaching boys how to um, know their own limits to learn their own limits you know through play mm-hmm. with older with older men you know which is not something you're going to get with with just women so I think <clears throat> there needs to be real balance um, and I generally think you know the way in which children if they behave badly are kind of medicalized and pathologized is, is also just terrible you know i mean if yes. if children are bored because they're being forced to sit wearing a mask in a seat for 8 hours it's maybe there's something wrong with that system rather than the children
0: yeah but but is there is there a case to be made that sometimes when you see the way boys behave particularly in adolescence and the, there's a very strong element of competition there. I'm not saying there isn't competition within groups of teenage girls, but just from my own experience, from what I saw amongst the boys, that sometimes it, it could it could veer into the hostile or it could be. It was very much. they. In other words, I suppose they weren't concealing uh, their attempts to acquire status particularly effectively. It was very much there on the surface. And people would say that that's just bad behavior.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I think one of the things we also sort of maybe fail to remember in our sort of bid to be modern and urbane is that we are apex predators. Like, we are animals. (laughs) (laughs) You know.
0: I don't feel like a predator, but uh, there we go. But then I'm a vegetarian.
1: Oh uh, well, there you go. I mean, you know, there's uh, some men are you know more manly than others, but um, <laughs> no. But you know, you know what I mean. Like I think there is when when you start pathologizing behaviour, it's not to say that we, you know, we obviously we have systems and mechanisms of of um, containing and punishing behaviour when it becomes mm. too extreme, right? And a lot of this is about that. Like I think this this, you know, I suggest that basically if men sort of looked after themselves and each other more, we would prevent more male violence from taking place because it would be kind of supervised and dealt with preemptively in-house as it were. Yeah. Um, and, but this requires like di- a slightly different conception of things like strength. So like for strength for the ancient Greeks, for example, it wasn't about how strong you were physically, but rather it was about your capacity to judge when strength would be appropriate. You know, right. and that and that's a form of training and teaching which we don't necessarily directly do.
0: So, does that mean that you would expect teachers, or even uh, as part of the, uh, the 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 teacher training system, is to sort of build in? well, I suppose, different expectations for male and female pupils?
1: I mean, perhaps to some extent, it doesn't have to be so kind of either or. I mean, we we know that, for example, girls seem to do better in single sex schools. Mm. I mean, one one possibility, uh, as liberalism sort of grinds to some wherever it's going, might be <laughs> to rethink um, some of these supposedly democratic and egalitarian institutions like co-educational spaces, for example. You know, yes. it may it may be that we need to rethink how much time boys and girls and men and women spend together. Historically, it's unusual the amount of time that we spend together in this very mixed. I talk about it as a heterosocial world, you know, mm. we're, we're surrounded by each other all the time, you yes. know, which has its downsides. And I describe how this is makes us more like brother and sister. We're, we're more like in a kind of horizontal System, rather than a you know a vertical system where one one type of person takes responsibility for the others, you say, yes. and there might be there might be benefits of that, but it might also need rethinking, right? So it may be that. We need to rethink separating boys and girls more often um, we may need to rethink the way in which male energy is directed obviously lots of boys play sport and that kind of thing but there's clearly uh, you know boys are extremely energetic girls are too but they there might be ways of kind of recognizing that rather than trying to equalize everything and pretend that these differences don't matter
0: but then a lot of progressives would say that that's quite a regressive idea quite a reactionary. Idea in in that you're almost going back to a time where you know uh, men were were told you have to be like this and women were told that you have to be like like that. Um, but are you saying there's a sort of I suppose there's a balance that you could find?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I try to be very very um, reasonable in the book, which is itself is slightly provocative in in a very polemical age. Yeah. If you sort of mean, I try to look carefully at the complaints of, let's say, the men's rights activists, as well as the complaints of feminists and, you know, try to see where there are overlaps and even similarities rather than see them okay. as a completely pitched opposed to one another. Um, yes. You know, and, and I think it's about being realistic. You know, I think we might have grandiose utopian ideas about eliminating all gender difference, but I think this is not reality. We, we, we are our bodies. We shouldn't be trying to escape them every five seconds. We should be kind of reconciled to certain certain truths, yeah. you know. I, as and you know, in the book, I talk about the fact that uh, our ancestors did understand some things. I don't think it's reactionary to say that you know, anyone with thoughts from a few centuries ago must be outdated and must be um, you know reactionary and conservative. They might have actually understood a few things that we've forgotten. If you see yes. what I mean.
0: So you're saying that sort of, you know, centuries and centuries of evolution has meant that there are fundamental differences between men and women. And and that actually, rather than trying to eliminate them through social socialization or civilization, an acknowledgement of those things, uh, uh, a sort of healthy view of of, of the differences between men and women and a, a realistic view might enable us as the sexes to get on better. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, amongst other things. But I think that's right, because otherwise something like sexual difference becomes just an identity. It becomes a kind of fantasy or an image, you know, and we already Mm -hmm. live in an extremely virtual age. And I think the virtualization of these things is is causing great harm. It's causing extreme harm um, to young people and I think especially young girls in terms of body image and... You know, if they feel that they they don't live up to particular images that they're seeing, you know, this is having extremely negative effect on their self-perception. Um, and, and for boys too, if they're constantly being told that they are, their behaviour is wrong and evil and that they're fundamentally guilty. You know, this is this is not a good situation, right? This will breed resentment. This will actually generate far more dangerous positions and um, alienate more people than it will bring them in to a collective discussion. So I think, you know, someone like Jordan Peterson is popular for a good reason. And I think one of the reasons he appeals to young men, but not only to young men, is because he tells people to stop blaming others for your mm. own problems and to sort of sort yourself out first before you're in a position to, in a way, present yourself to the world and, and maybe get a girlfriend. So that's one way of eliminating the, the the sort of desire or the demand that someone else, you know, solve your problems for you.
0: Yes, but a lot of people would say that in itself is a very old fashioned idea. The, idea. the idea of personal responsibility and the, the idea that men and boys in particular uh, need that kind of framework. Uh, within which to flourish, would you? I mean, but you would say that this isn't necessarily old-fashioned.
1: I, I mean, well, I would say that not everything old-fashioned is bad. I mean, I right. d- you know, and not, not everything new is good. In fact, a lot of new things are absolutely horrific.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I agree, but is, isn't it going to be quite a hard sell? Uh, given that the uh, those who now uh, identify as being on the left, although I don't, I often don't think they are really. Uh, would say that actually the ideal is is the utopia that you alluded to earlier, which is a complete elimination of, of even a recognition of gender difference, uh, uh, almost as though we live in a society where we don't notice if people are male or female because now they would say that biological differences. is are a social construct that they, they just don't exist.
1: Well, I think I think there's a lot of contradictions in the kind of movements that you're talking about, which both seem to depend on sex stereotypes, um, but also pretend that that sex doesn't exist. Uh, mm. You know, so I th- I don't know. I don't know if that position is particularly coherent. I also agree with you. I don't necessarily think it's a left position. It's certainly not the left that I remember, which was mm. much more funny and 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 you know forgiving well, that, and discursive. That's the other thing.
0: If there's a lot of humour. I mean, comedians have always poked fun at the differences of men and women. It's really, and it, and weirdly now in comedy terms, that's become quite a radical, edgy thing to do. Whereas we used to say that was kind of like almost a bit a bit hack to go on about, oh, women like this and men like this. And now it feels quite dangerous.
1: That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's, it's true. I mean, but, what can you say? It's a... Uh... Sometimes, I mean, humanity often goes mad. I mean, it's. I, I think peri- that more and more, I think that periodically humanity just goes into fits of insanity, and yeah, you have to. We have to keep reminding ourselves of of certain basic things, you know. And of course, they're lived out differently in different eras. But
0: but is it? But it's interesting that the current mode of insanity, which I think I would share with you, it does feel kind of hysterical is so rooted in the idea of gender and sex. And it seems to be a combination of various things that have happened recently, not just in terms of Me Too, which I think had a lot of legitimate grievances that needed to be addressed there. But it seems as though every movement, even if it has a kernel of truth, can suddenly explode into something much, much more and much, much more extreme. And that's very much a phenomenon of our times. Do you think I might have a point there?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think obviously we can talk about the way in which the internet encourages these things, but but it's, there's a, there's something kind of crazy at the way in which institutions have taken up fringe ideas or ideas that were fringe like 15, yeah. 20 years ago and made them like central pillars of their, you know, structure. And you're like, yes. that's weird. I yes. didn't expect that. Um, <laughs> it's like all the adults in the room have disappeared and left things over to like you know, fanatical HR people or whatever who may be a well-meaning, but they've kind of—I uh, don't know—destroyed these places from the inside.
0: Do you think that some of the uh, more extreme claims about men and about masculinity they do have an element of truth? I mean, let's just t- play devil's advocate there for for a moment. Insofar as you know, there is there is a phenomenon of male violence against women. Women are far more likely to experience uh, violence from from men uh, than 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 from women. Uh, there is a problem there. And some feminists would argue that uh, the, the problem there is a, is a matter of socialisation. We shouldn't be telling women, you know, don't go out late at night. don't go, That actually we have to fix society, fix the way that men uh, perceive women and, and, and have this view uh, that, that women should be, I suppose, their sexual property. Do you think that is still very much a problem that we need to redress?
1: I, I think, you know, men are stronger than women, right? Most male violence is actually directed against other men and also against themselves in the form of suicide and other destructive behaviours. Um, when men are violent towards women, they are more dangerous. They are more physically, they're physically stronger, right? So it's not that mm-hmm. there isn't female violence against men or female violence against other women, There there is, um, but it's more devastating, right, when men, right. men do it. So one of the, the things that I try to talk about is, you know, what it means to be a good man, right? This idea has seems okay. to have dropped out of the the discourse along with every other discussion of virtue in favour of um, this celebration of consumerist desire, like the idea that whatever you want, you can get. And this extends even into the intimate realm. So you can download someone off an app or whatever, invite them over for a pizza and a sh- You know, and this is like everything has become like very, very commodified in this way. And Mm. we're no longer really treating each other as like unique individuals necessarily. Yeah. Um, so I rather also, very um, in a very archaic way, go back to the virtues and talk about what it might mean to be a good man and how we encourage these, um, these feelings. I think there are many, many people who are, there are many men who are good already. I would say many men I know, men in my family, for example, my father yeah. and my brother are good men. They behave in ways that are um, worth emulating. They are role models to their children, and they are good for their community and their wives, and so on. And mm. a lot of men already behave well, right? And they don't deserve to be condemned and tarred with the same brush, you know, when we're making these sweeping generalizations because it's not true, simply.
0: So, is it a matter of is it a matter of focus? In other words, the the discourse of toxic masculinity. Would have us believe that all men are potential rapists and all men have this within them. Uh and 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 do you just not accept that premise?
1: No, I don't think it's true. It's not borne out by any evidence. Most men don't commit violent acts you know, we're all capable of harm. I think there's a kind of confusion in the way we think about these things, which might need more analysis in general. You know, we're all capable of harm. We hurt people all the time. Like we say the wrong thing. We upset somebody. We might make an error of judgment. We might kiss someone who doesn't want to be kissed. You know, there are lots of minor infractions and transgressions that are attendant upon social life. Right. That's just a reality of being part of, you know, a group of, Of humans, and there's a lot of misunderstanding as well, right? This is not the same as, you know, a seriously violent uh, um, action against a random stranger in the street, right? So we've got to be able, I think, to talk um, more clearly about where things are minor, run of the mill social infractions, which aren't, which are neither criminal nor, um, you know, Anything particularly devastating necessarily? If we have a way of living with them, which is just to kind of go, all right, you know, that happened. Oh, I've been a d- too. You know, he was a bit of a. D-. She was a bit of a. D-. You know, that's that's life, right?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. And, and at the same time, we want to all we all are concerned to prevent horrific incidents of violence occurring. Right. Yes. So the question is not. Um, whether we want to stop those things, of course we do. I I don't think we should compla- conflate minor social infractions with major social infractions or, vi- or extreme violent incidences, yes. right, in the first place. And then secondarily, then I think in order to um, address the possibility of uh, let's say male violence against women, then men need to take each other in hand more as a preemptive measure. Like, so, for example, the the, the cop who killed Sarah Everard, his colleagues knew that he was a wrong one, Right. Right. Yes. Had yes. they dealt with him themselves, right, yes. it may have prevented his horrific...
0: I see so, so are you saying that so that that's a good example that an instance like that where where some people might argue that is uh that exemplifies male behavior you're saying we need to acknowledge that that is aberrant that that is not the norm by any yes. means and that it's not on a spectrum with things like uh I suppose a, a fumbled um miscalculation in in a sexual into intimate sexual situation no but okay so but that that's something that a lot of people would would disagree with on the basis that they would say it is a slippery slope that 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 it, it, if 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 men are making advances where it is not welcome that in their mind that then leads to these more extreme examples. But I
1: think there's a difference isn't there between someone who misreads a situation and makes a mistake you know and apologizes for it right that yeah. that person is not the same as someone who routinely you know breaches um boundaries and doesn't seem to care and then goes right. on to 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 commit horrific acts right
0: yes no i understand the point and so are you saying that because you talk about this idea of uh, of of um creating good men right um is that are you in fact sort of simply uh, suggesting a return to chivalry
1: i mean partly i think you know there are kind of lots of um historical male vi- virtues that are worth digging up again and thinking mm. about Um, They can't be any worse than our contemporary values. Let's put it that way. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) what have we got to lose?
0: Well, I I suppose it's just that some women feel offended uh, if men um, uh, sort of go out of their way to you know I mean at the very basic level open doors for people or, or that I, kind of I thing I really
1: wonder about that I, I don't know if people are re- women are really upset if men hold the door I think this is like one of those myths I would never yeah. be offended if someone like man or woman I, I hold the door open for people like anyone who's not a total d holds the door open for someone yeah, if you would it's think. appropriate like you know, I, I don't know why this example is always
0: used. It is always used, isn't it? That's why I raise it, because I do wonder about it myself. I actually judge people if they don't open the door for me. And it's got nothing to do with gender.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, look, there are ways of behaving in a social way which are better than others, right? We, we mm. would all hope, and we can all be better, frankly. You know, all of us have been at points and sometimes for prolonged periods of time, you know.
0: Yeah. How dare you? no it's true
1: (laughs) you know so so i mean you know this is almost a kind of i i'm interested in thinking about almost like what it means to go back to christian virtues and values in an era which seems to have completely dispensed with any of them in favor of selfish individualistic consumerism
0: what would those christian values be though because some people will hear you say that and they will bristle because they will say that that is that that's just something from a bygone time
1: well, like I say, not everything from the past is bad and not everything new is good. You know, I mean, Christian values, like like take the sort of um, contemporary culture, you know, the, the resurgence of a certain kind of moralism. You mm. have What you seem to have there is almost like a quasi-religious form of judgment, but without any of the nice things like forgiveness and atonement. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so people can't say sorry because that just makes it worse. And no one could be forgiven. So people are just condemned. <laughs>
0: I mean, that's a really interesting example, isn't it? Because whether you're Christian or not, surely the notion of forgiveness, which is so fundamental to Christianity, at the heart of Christianity, that is the thing that is absent for some reason.
1: Yeah. Or humility or, you know, tempering your desires or, you know, I mean, these are social technologies, you know, whether you don't have to believe in the the religious framework in order to understand that. So these are social technologies and they play a role in how we we live and work with one another. And if we live in a culture that is completely beyond value because we think we don't need them anymore and we because we think that our desires are somehow true and wonderful. Yeah. But actually they're having seriously deleterious effects.
0: Yes, well, can can I ask you about the men's rights movement and also the the, the sort of development of what they call incels, sort of in, involuntary celibates? I, b- I believe I've got that right. So, so groups of men who are sort of swearing off women, uh, and, and and there does seem to be within those discourses, from what I have seen, uh, uh, an element of misogyny. I've sort of sometimes overt misogyny. Uh, is that entire movement, which seems very much of the of the, the, the present time, has that come out of, of something that is of this crisis of masculinity or whatever we want to call it?
1: I mean, I, th- I think that in extreme cases, there are some men who, who really hate women and there are some women who really hate men. But these are very, very extreme positions, actually. The vast majority of men and women don't hate the opposite sex to core, right? Like they don't yeah. feel like that. They, they understand that they have brothers and husbands and sons and friends and so on, right? Yeah. I, I think sometimes what happens, and there is a kind of way in which resentment is encouraged by the culture on both sides. You know, women are often encouraged to hate men and hate on men and men in some situations are encouraged to hate on women. But I don't think that true pathological misogyny or misandry is very common at all in individuals.
0: I mean, some feminists would argue against that very strongly and say that actually it's systemic. The idea of that misogyny, the, the very notion of the patriarchy within which we live means that uh, anti-female sentiment or a sense of male supremacy is just built into the fabric of society sort of ineluctably, that there's nothing we can do about it. Is Is that just an extreme point of view, do you think?
1: No, I mean, you know, but there's a very superficial way in which people invoke the patriarchy, which actually does an injustice to the kind of power that women have always had. Right. But it depends on on what you think power is.
0: (laughs) So can you talk me through that? So what is your view of what the patriarchy is and how is it that you think that women have historically had power within it?
1: Well, look, none of us would be here if there wasn't some degree of cooperation. I mean, also, if there wasn't some degree of rape and violence, too, let's be let's be clear. Right. We're all the products of a very violent history, which we are part of. Right and this is one of the issues where people try to cancel history because they think it's so awful but you can't do that either really yeah. like it's much better to acknowledge these things so i think there's a kind of confusion about patriarchy which which sometimes sort of in the in a superficial way you know descends into the idea that all men have privilege somehow by virtue of being men which which can't be true i mean it's simply not true of homeless men it's not true of working class men or men who with you know, drug problems or in the opioid crisis in America and so on, right? Like, these are these are not men with privilege in any recognisable sense. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's, like I say, actually, there is a kind of absence of father figures. Like, the patriarch originally in the Bible are father figures. They are the people who take care and they take responsibility for... Yeah other people and actually what we have is an absence of responsibility we have a very very irresponsible culture that encourages both men and women to behave in very sort of selfish and individualistic ways we have a culture that is increasingly not supportive of people who want to have families and get married you know those things are made difficult economically Mm. they're culturally looked down upon as somehow you know not the cool thing to do um, you know, this is also part of the context in which actual fathers, for example, are not really supported. Same would go for mothers as well. There's a general oh. denigration of anyone who has children and I would say of older people in particular. We live in a culture that fetishizes youth and doesn't actually respect our elders particularly. Yeah. Um, so in actual fact, what are we talking about when we're talking about a patriarchy? It would actually be good if there were more men taking responsibility and right. we had a culture that celebrated that. This like doesn't, say,
0: yeah. that's not quite how it's used a lot of the time. When I hear the word patriarchy used, I think it is closer to what you described, the idea of inherent privilege that comes with being male, whereas I suppose really what the patriarchy is about, I mean, because some people will say, well, you know, most CEOs of companies, most people in the top jobs are male. So I suppose what the patriarchy really is, is is the, the fact that society is dominated by a small minority of men. Would that be a better way of looking at it? Yeah,
1: I mean that's one way of looking at it. It's, it's complicated when we start talking about alpha men and so on because a lot of alpha men in our culture are not physically alpha and a lot of mm. physically alpha men are in prison. Right. because right. <laughs> yeah, So, you know, again, you have these conflicting stories really about what power is. You know, I mean, how many people want to be a CEO of a company? It would be a nightmare. What a boring, horrible <laughs> That's job. True. You know, yeah. I mean, it's again, it's like, do we think it's so great to want those things or to have those things, you know?
0: Well, I suppose there's also the, the, the point that, uh, you know, as men's rights activists make this point, that if you're male, you're more likely to be uh, commit suicide, to be homeless, to be, uh, to, to be in prison, you know, obviously the, the, the prison population is overwhelmingly dominated by, by men. Uh, so the idea of this very simplistic, reductive view of the patriarchy, which means male equals privilege, female equals oppressed. It, it, it's, it's more complicated than that.
1: Yeah, well, it's just not true, is it? I mean, the list you right. gave is, you know, and, and the men still do the most dangerous jobs, for example. You know, and if you want true equality, then it would also go that way as well. <laughs> You'd have more, a, more women yeah, I mean, on oil rigs.
0: <laughs> do you, well, do you think feminists should be calling for that? More women to work on oil rigs?
1: No, because I don't think, you know, those are really like horrible jobs and they're very difficult <laughs> jobs and people who do them should be like remunerated properly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, and it, and
1: I think again it doesn't matter. Like if more men cluster around particular things, so what?
0: Yes. Yeah. And again it comes back to your this this key point, uh, which is that you, it seems to me like you're drawing on elements of, of uh, traditional views of men and women that you think are good and you think still apply in today's society. Um, and do you think that, that that message can break through at a time uh, where, where it feels like, it just feels like something from another time?
1: I, th- I think a lot of people honestly are already there. I, I really? think, you know, the, there's a whole culture that exists outside of the left liberal mainstream which is has millions of people in it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And there we forget about people, them, don't we? we there are many people, people
1: who who still believe in courage and loyalty and virtues and love their families and you know want to get married and have children and people still go to church and people still behave in ways which are uplifting and and beneficial and good and I I think You know we it's 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 just a complete mistake to think that that everybody lives like some kind of you know debauched liberal metropolitan or whatever
0: absolutely that is a mistake that it, it can easily be made because when you're watching the media and that's all you're consuming that's the that's the impression you get um but do you think some people do have a point when they criticize the men's rights movements particularly about the idea that maybe they are wallowing in victimhood which, which perhaps is, is a sort of mirror image of the kind of feminism that sees women as weak and in, in, in need of, of particular support. Would you say that there's a, a legitimate criticism in that?
1: Sure. I mean, I think there are there are aspects of any movement which have these kind of victim dimensions, right? I mean, you know, I, th- I think everybody needs to rethink the whole victim thing. I talk about mm. this in the book. It's, 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 it's sort of rewarded in some ways if you can present yourself as a victim, but it's a very dangerous politics to go down. Right. Most authoritarian politics are based in the first place uh, on a misplaced or encouragement of a feeling of resentment and victimhood at the hands of another group. Right. So this is a a known thing. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. That actually being a victim is not inherently virtuous. It actually often gives you um, reason and motivation um, to do terrible, terrible things. It justifies revenge things and so i say that yeah. like women should not go down the revenge route I, yeah. I think i say that that women should be the better man
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's quite the phrase uh, because i remember i remember stephen fry using that phrase sort of saying that uh, self-pity is actually the most unattractive of, of of emotions and i think there's something to that uh, and you do see that in in the more sort of whenever any any movement has elements within it that has that quality in, and it can have a self-defeating uh, perspective. But
1: that's why I think a lot of the, the things that get written off as, you know, men's rights activism or masculinist stuff or even tainted with the right wing brush, you know, like all of yeah. these things are often, you know, described as far right and they're not at all, right? It's, yes. but you know that we know that that's just a kind of weird tactic um, but is, is you know, a lot of these things are actually saying to men, get your together, like, yeah you know, yeah. don't wallow in self-pity, work out, get fit, get mentally fit, you yes. know, don't indulge in this kind of, you know, junk food, video games, porn, blaming other people thing.
0: So is a lot of the problem that you're facing in trying to tackle these issues that you're dealing with, uh, that the, the, the terms used to describe these ideas are conti- in continual flux? Uh, I mean, you mentioned there the idea of People just being dismissed as far right and fascist and all the when they're absolutely not. But the same could be said about terms such as male and female, masculinity, femininity. It's almost like a um, it's it's word games writ large, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know this is something that philosophers are very obsessed with. It's like we have to know what we're talking about when we're using concepts. Words can't just mean anything that you feel like, you know.
0: And you've you've started your book, but what was the sentence you started with that that male and female exist? Men,
1: men and women exist
0: but, but that, that that is problematized if, if you even start to sort of deconstruct the ideas of being men of being male and being female as simply social constructs I mean do, do you think that uh, the the decoupling of sex and gender which is obviously a very old idea now m- might be part of the problem
1: I mean gender as a, as a word or as a as an idea doesn't even really exist in lots of languages you know it was taken right. from John money himself a very corrupt individual Um you yes. know, and, and used in a particular way in a particular period and now has come to take on a slightly different meaning even than it did sort of 20, 30 years ago. I mean, when I was growing up, gender was the, the external social expectation based on your yes. sex. Right. Yes. And it was negative. Like the, the the idea was to get rid of gender. Yes. You know, because gender expectation and stereotypes was what was holding people back potentially.
0: Yes. Well, that seemed to be at the at the core of second wave feminism, didn't it? That was that was the idea. And
1: since then, gender, it, at least in some places, has come to mean some inner feeling that you identify with, not yes. some social expectation, but rather something that you feel. Yes. Um, as if it were like your soul or something.
0: Yes. But if you if you in your book are talking about ideals of masculinity, you will inevitably be accused, won't you, of 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 reifying gender all over again?
1: I don't think so. I mean, I think it's a kind of corrective, maybe. You know, it's it's a very balanced book, or I've te- I've attempted to be as balanced as I possibly can. Yeah. Um. Whilst you know, sticking to the reality of sexual difference, right? And yeah. I think it's it's not too difficult to to say that. I mean, it, it might be upsetting for two percent of people, but I think actually. It's not really very controversial to say that men and women exist. Not really. No, no,
0: I, d- I don't think it is at all. I think you can get away with that one.
1: You know, yeah. so, but I think it's it's also to, to give people a certain sense of power back. You can take, look, I, I did it myself. You know, my life was a mess and I took hold of it.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: You know, I, I think it's like saying, you know, everybody can take a look at their own life and think about what it means to be a good man or a good woman. I'm not, by the way, I'm not just simply saying that men need to step up right, this is about all of us. The book is about Mm. both men and women. In fact, it became a book about the relationship between men and women with a focus on men. But it, it, of course, you know, we're all victims, if you like, of this culture. But it doesn't mean that we, we should wallow in that either. Like, we should neither be blaming the opposite sex for our problems, nor should we be simply saying, oh, it's all capitalism's fault. Oh, it's all the culture's fault. It's all whatever.
0: Yes. Do you have any sense of how the next generation or the generation that are coming up will be, uh, will be broaching these kinds of issues? I remember I, I, I gave a talk at a, a school and it was a girls' school and they were very privileged girls. But there were some, a couple of them gave a presentation about their oppression, how oppressed they were. And I thought it felt to me like well, you're some of the most privileged people in the world who have ever existed ever um and yet that is the kind of thing that perhaps is being encouraged among the young or do you have more optimism than that
1: i do i have a kind of psychedelic optimism for the zoomers i think the zoomers <laughs> will rebel against their virtual prison and they will yeah. get offline and they nature is the new punk i i think <laughs> i think these kids are going to be all right they're going to run around they're going to love the sun they're going to have raves again it'll be a third summer of love
0: really?
1: And oh yeah i'm convinced of this
0: I mean, that, that phrase, nature is the new punk, that's quite incredible. Uh, I wonder if that could possibly happen, but it will mean, I suppose, that the next feminist movement, whatever that looks like, and it is looking this way more and more, will have uh, biological reality at its core.
1: Yeah, I, I think psychedelic feminism, this is what I'm, I'm into.
0: Is that what you're calling it? Is that what you're branding it? Psychedelic feminism? Sure. Sounds good to me. Well, Nina Power, thanks so much for, for joining me today uh, and discussing your book. Thanks. <laughs> This has been the Free Speech Nation podcast with me, Andrew Doyle, and my guest, Nina Power. If you enjoyed the show, please do check out Nina's book. It's What Do Men Want? Masculinity and Its Discontent. And that's available in all good bookstores. And if you enjoyed the show, make sure you like, make sure you subscribe, all of that palaver. And then come back and join me next week when I'm going to have another fabulous guest. See you then.